If you have kids, you know how many questions that they ask throughout their life. They ask questions about everything. They are just soaking up the knowledge all the time. From the back seat of the car, they are deeply interested in probably the most important question, are we there yet? <laughs> but other questions that we run across with our kids, you know, why is the sky blue? Why are the dinosaurs not around anymore? All the kinds of questions. If you're a, a new parent, if you're looking forward to being a parent in the future, you need to be ready to have the answers to give to your kids because they're going to ask you questions that you never thought you'd be asked. Our kids ask a lot of questions because they're curious. They're soaking in the information. They're absorbing it all. But what about you? When you grow up, when we mature, you know, we find the answers sometimes to these questions that we have as we're growing up, and, and are we still curious? Do we still want to know more? You know, I found myself disconnected from the, from the internet for a couple of days this past week. I know that's shocking to hear. <laughs> you know, believe me, it was, it was a jolt to my system as well, but you're sitting there trying to think of this guy's name, or you're trying to think of how to do this one thing, and you know what you can't do? You can't go Google searching. You can't go look up on Wikipedia. So you're basically sitting around looking to anybody around you. Do you know the answer to this question? Do you know this person's name? Have you, can you teach me about this? Because you can't go look it up online. I mean, YouTube is amazing. If you, haven't, if you haven't gone on YouTube and just looking for the answer for some random question, you want to know how to install a fog light on this kind of vehicle you know, with this kind of bracketry, there's somebody who decided to make a video about that for some reason. You know, there are answers to every question almost that you can think of on YouTube. And we look curiously to the answers to our questions. We look to the internet, we look to other people, we ask each other the, the, these questions that we want to know more about. And I think as we grow up, we stay curious. We stay curious about our our, our life, the things that we enjoy, our hobbies, but do we stay curious about our faith? I think it's easy and natural for us to see someone who is young in the faith, someone who's new to the faith, and they have questions. Oh, believe me, they have questions. I had questions. When I was growing up, when I was learning about Jesus, when I was learning about the gospel, there are naturally questions that you are led to, that you, that you have. What does the Bible mean when it says this? How, how does this passage apply to my life? What does God want from me in this scenario? And all the questions that you can think of as a new Christian or as somebody who is young in the faith, we expect that. But let's be very careful as we grow up, as we mature, as we get older in the faith, to really stay curious to ask the questions, because asking questions is not a bad thing, and that's, that's really the focus, I think, of this lesson. That no matter where we are, what stage we are in life, asking questions, staying curious, is an important part of who we are. It's an important part of being a Christian. Because once we think that we've come to, to the answers, and we know everything, and we just stop listening, I think that's the moment when we stop growing, we stop developing. We stop being more like Jesus because we, we think we know the answers. And so I want us to look to Jesus for answers because obviously he's the source of all truth. 
He is, he is the, the perfect example of God in the flesh living a life that, that God wants us to live. He wants us to follow in Jesus' footsteps, but we need to stay curious. And in doing that this morning, I want to look at a character, at, at a certain man who's, who showed us this idea of developing a deeper faith by getting curious and asking questions and letting those answers change our lives, change his life. In this example, we're going to look at, and that's really the, the big idea of this lesson. Deeper faith comes when we get curious, when we stay curious, and that, that root system grows deep into the ground, and once we find the answers to those deep questions that we have, we really develop a stronger relationship to the Lord. Those answers change our lives. Asking questions is something that no matter where you are, what stage you are in life, I know even some of the, this is not a pejorative here, some of the oldest Christians I know are still asking questions. And that's a good and important thing. That's something we all need to learn. And if we ever find ourselves stopping and, and no longer being curious about the Lord, I think we need to push ourselves to continue in that. You know, we have an entire tract system out on our wall here about Bible answers, all kinds of questions that if you, have, if you have questions about things, you might find the answers out there. You might find the answers by asking your brothers and sisters in here. And as we're going to do this morning, you can definitely find the answers when you look to Jesus. And that's the most important source of all the answers. That's what we're going to consider today. But the story is found in Luke chapter 7. So grab a Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And I encourage you, hopefully this week, to be reading Luke chapter 7 because that's the next section in our Bible, Bible reading that we're doing, Luke chapter 7. Hopefully you're going to read this at least five times. And as you make your way through it, it's easy for us to kind of camp on the end of Luke chapter 7 because, oh man, that story about the woman and her sinfulness and her humility at the end of Luke 7 is so easy to camp on. I love that story so much. But don't miss the story that kind of sets up the chapter where we see John the Baptist having a conversation with Jesus, not directly, but through his disciples. So let's consider here the first few verses here of Luke chapter 7, verse 18 beginning. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Just stop right there. John, as we know here in this story, in this account, John is no longer able to travel around as he might want. If you go to Matthew 11, Matthew 11 is the parallel account to this in, in Matthew's gospel, but in in Luke, we don't really know why John can't travel around, but in Matthew 11, we find out that John is in prison, and he can't travel around. He can't go meet Jesus, and so he has to send ambassadors. He has to send his disciples. Apparently, John still had disciples. He still had followers or learners who he was teaching and, and men who he could send around and ask these questions. So they come to Jesus asking the question, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This, this question that they're asking is an important question because John was paving the way for the Messiah. We understand John's job, his mission in life, 
was to prepare the way for Jesus, for the Messiah. And so he wants to know, are you the one who we've been waiting for, or shall we look for another? And there's a lot of interesting questions that come out of this, and not all the questions that we have about John's motivations are easily answerable, but what we do know for sure is that faith grows through questions. This was an important part of John's life in which he needed to have this question answered. Now, here's the thing. A lot of scholars will go back and forth, and you may have your opinion about this, but but quite frankly, I don't see the answer clearly given here. So let's talk about some of the alternative interpretations of what's going on here. Maybe it is that John's disciples are the ones who are questioning whether or not Jesus is, is the Christ. He is the one to come. And so maybe it is that John sends his disciples so that the disciples can have their questions answered. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe it's the case that John's faith has failed. This is probably the least likely one in my, in my estimation. I don't think John's faith has failed, but you might look at this account and you might think, well, John, you should know the answer to this question, shouldn't you? John, weren't you the one who saw the Spirit descend like a dove on Jesus after his baptism? Weren't you the one who says, behold the Lamb of God? Weren't you the one who, who was waiting for Jesus this whole time, and when you found him, you even sent your own disciples to go follow after him? John, we saw, had a lot of faith in the very beginning. We saw how, how convinced he was that Jesus was the Son of God. John's gospel, in, in the first chapter of, of John's gospel, explains that in great detail. But here we see how this question is arising, and is it, is it John's faith that's failed? I don't think so. I don't think so specifically because of how Jesus goes on to talk about John's question later on, how he explains after the disciples leave, after John's disciples leave, Jesus explains about John's character and really just holds him up as being like the pinnacle of faith and faithfulness. So I don't think John's faith had failed. But maybe the more likely explanation in my mind, maybe the thing I gravitate, gravitate to the most, maybe it was that John just became impatient. Maybe John didn't have a full understanding of what Jesus' mission was going to be about. And I, I say that, and I think that because of what Jesus goes on to do, and we'll talk about that in a second, the way Jesus answers the disciples' question, he seems to indicate that John may not have seen the full picture. John may not have understood what Jesus was there to do. But understand that no matter what interpretation you walk away with, no matter what you think about John the Baptist and why he's even asking this question, you need to understand that Jesus doesn't give him a hard time for, answering, for asking the question. Now, you think about Jesus' own disciples. They asked questions all the time right? Jesus was not a father. He apparently did not have children, but his 12 disciples were basically like a bunch of kids. Were basically like his 12 kids following him around, asking him questions. Well, why is this happening? 
Why are we doing this? Why are we going over here? And constantly Jesus had to answer their questions over and over and over again. And almost all the time, the questions were not beaten down. He wasn't making fun of them for asking the questions. He wasn't frustrated with them. There were a few times, though, because Jesus knew their heart, where Jesus was frustrated that they continued to ask the same question over and over and over again, where he was frustrated with their lack of faith. But by and large, Jesus answered the questions and just welcomed the questions. And here, what we see about his question from John the Baptist, he, he, he welcomes the question because faith grows through questions. Asking the questions, sincerely asking the questions, is an important part of growth. And we, we understand that John, in verse 28 later on there, Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. You think Jesus would have said that about John if he would have been super frustrated about John's lack of faith? No, I don't think he would have. I don't think Jesus would have lifted John up on this pedestal if he was so super frustrated with John's lack of faith. Questions are good. Questions are an important part of the process. And what John is trying to figure out is, hey, are we doing the right thing here? And if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you have not asked yourself, hey, am I doing the right thing here? I don't think you're curious enough. And you could say, well, John had all the evidence. John should have known better. John had, he had all the answers that he needed already. Yeah, but it's still important to ask the question and make sure, am I on the right path? You know, we take for, for granted GPS. We take for granted the little computerized voice that tells us that we're on the right path, right? And sometimes that computerized voice isn't right, but we trust her anyway. She just leads us wherever we, we, we don't know, and we're, we're just at her mercy, right? She takes us wherever she's going to take us. But we need to understand that, that this is our GPS. Jesus' words is our GPS. And when we go to him asking the questions, where are we? Where are we going? Am I on the right path? We're asking the right questions. And so understand here, first of all, that it's important to ask questions. And so when you find yourself maybe dealing with a brother or sister who's asking really deep questions, important questions, don't write them off. Don't, don't think, well, maybe they're weak in the faith. If they're sincerely asking those questions, then let's sincerely find the answers to those questions. And you should be doing the same thing yourself. I think all of us need to stay curious, just like John was curious. And whatever the reasoning behind his questions, we, we definitely see questions are important. So let's continue on here, because Jesus goes on to do some amazing things in response to this question. In verse 21 of Luke chapter 7, in that hour, I love that, right then, in that hour, right then, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. This is not just a throwaway phrase. This is not just a throwaway line that Jesus is using. He is going on and tying up a whole lot of Old Testament questions, Old Testament prophecies. He's tying them up together so that they can understand the answer to their question. Here's the thing. Questions lead to answers. 
you find yourself asking questions. You find yourself getting curious about God's word. And when you start studying and you start looking intently and deeply, the answers are going to be there. The answers are going to present themselves to you. And I'm not saying that we will have the answers to every question we ever ask. But the important questions, the questions that God has given us the answers to, they will be there. And so as Jesus is entertaining this question of John the Baptist and his disciples, he answers the question, not, and this is typical Jesus, right? Not in the way that we would normally do. What would you have done if, if John the Baptist's disciples had come to you and said, are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we look for another one? My answer would probably be, yep, <laughs> I'm the one, right? Jesus doesn't come out and just say it as clearly as that, though. He doesn't answer the question as simply as that. He still needs to, to help them see. He needs to give them proof. Some people say that faith is blind. I throw that idea out the window. I disagree with that completely. Yes, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. But we have the answers. Why do you think in 1 Peter chapter 3, why does Peter talk about answering people about the hope that's within us, giving them a reason for that hope with gentleness and respect. Why do you think he talks about giving them the answer for the reason why we hope? Because we have the answer, right? We have, we have the answers to these questions, and we can help people understand why we do what we do. And so we see here that Jesus gives them the answer. He doesn't just say, blindly follow me, blindly except that I am the one. He says, in that very hour, Luke explains here that he did all of these amazing signs and wonders and miracles in their presence. And Jesus is fulfilling what we saw about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6 in that great servant song, where he's talking about how he healed the lame and he restored sight to the blind and he cleansed people of their diseases and how in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, how he is basically opening up himself to, to giving, restoring hearing to the deaf and raising people from the dead. How basically Jesus, in this demonstration of these miracles to John's disciples, shows them the proof they need. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Watch these things. You know, how many times... Did people ask Jesus to do a miracle? And Jesus said, no, I'm not doing a miracle for you guys. Right? Actually, interestingly enough, you go back to Luke chapter 4 that we read earlier. Right? Remember how Luke records Jesus' words there in the synagogue in his hometown? You remember when Jesus was asked basically some of these very same things? You know, do, a, do a show for us, Jesus. And he told them no. But remember what Jesus said there as he picked up the scroll in Isaiah. In verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. These are the words that, Je that Jesus read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That sounds a whole lot like what Jesus is talking about here in his answer to John's disciples. And then he goes on to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus needed to show people that the miracles that I'm doing prove 
that I'm the son of God. They prove that I'm the one who you've been waiting for. And so he doesn't just say, trust me. He says, watch me and let me prove it to you. And that's the answer that they needed. That's the answer that they've been looking for. But here's the thing. And the reason why I think John the Baptist was becoming impatient is because I think maybe John the Baptist, like Jesus' own disciples, was waiting for a Messiah who was going to come in and not heal people of their diseases and not restore hearing to the deaf people and give sight back to the blind. I think what they were looking for was a Jesus who was going to come in and destroy the Roman Empire. But that's not what Jesus was here for. That's not what Jesus was about. And so as John the Baptist is waiting for Jesus to do something, he's waiting for Jesus to take control. Maybe he was waiting for Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire, and it just wasn't happening. And so maybe John is just asking himself, is it time yet? Are you the one that I've been waiting for? Or should we keep on looking? And then Jesus reiterates to him what his mission was. In showing, that, in showing his disciples the answer to the question, this is what I'm here for. Not to physically heal everyone of their disease, not to physically restore people's sight and give their hearing back to them and raise people from the dead, not to physically do those things, but to spiritually do those things. That's what Jesus was here for, was to, was to illuminate the lights and the lives of people who were downtrodden and broken. He was here to restore and fix people who were beyond repair by human standards. Jesus cared about lowering himself down to those who were, who were humiliated and broken. Jesus was not here to establish an earthly kingdom and to overthrow the Roman Empire. He was not here to, to enact some great sort of political overthrow movement. That's not what Jesus was here to do. He was over here... He was here to overthrow people's pridefulness and their, their sense of self-righteousness. He was here to approach those who were lowly and humble. And what John needed to see and what John's disciples needed to see and what we need to see today is that we serve a Jesus who cares about the broken people. The answer to the question is that Jesus is going to be the one who lowers himself and who serves others. And that's why Jesus continually points to that aspect of his service. There in John chapter 4, here now in, or sorry, in Luke chapter 4, here now in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is explaining to us that I am not the Messiah you expected me to be. I am not the son of God that you thought I was going to be. And we need to understand that today, too. We need to remember that today, too, as we get curious about who is Jesus. What was Jesus' mission? What was his purpose in life? What is my purpose in life? What does he want from me? Jesus was a servant. Jesus wants us to be a servant. And if we find ourselves not being a servant to others like Jesus was a servant to those in his time, then we're missing the boat. We're serving a different Jesus. We're serving a Jesus of our own concoction, of our own making. We have come to the wrong answers to our questions. 
We need to get connected to who Jesus is and to what his mission really was. And as we stay curious, though, the answers that come at us, they'll be there if the Lord wants to illuminate us with those answers. But when we find those answers, we need to understand that we have to make a choice. Questions will lead to answers, but answers require us to make a choice. And that's what we see here in Luke chapter 7 at the end. And I love how Jesus closes out this conversation with John's disciples. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why does Jesus say that at the end of this conversation to answer the question, are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? Because I am convinced that Jesus understands the plain truth that sometimes we're waiting for a different answer than the one we expect. Sometimes we want to find an answer that makes us feel comfortable. We want to find an answer that makes us feel validated and vindicated. And we want to find an answer that's not challenging to us at all. And when that answer doesn't come, it's going to be an offensive thing. We're going to be offended by a Jesus who tells us, lower yourself. We're going to be offended by a Jesus who, who isn't here to overthrow political powers. We're going to be offended by a Jesus who's down there with the lowly and the poor and the blind and the, and the lame. When we ask questions, we need to be prepared to soften our hearts to the answer and to not be offended by Jesus. Of course, when you go back there in Luke chapter 4 to Jesus' hometown, as he basically said and demonstrated these same things, he he understood that at the end of all of that, what was going to happen to their heart toward him? His hometown would not accept the answer. In fact, what did they want to do at the very end of that account? They wanted to throw him off a cliff. They wanted to kill him because his answer did not match up with their thoughts about who the Messiah was. And you know what happened? They were so incurious that they remembered, who is this again? We know who you are. You can't be the son of God because we saw you running around our town in diapers one day when you were a little kid. You know, we know who your dad is. We know where you grew up. You're one of us. You can't be the son of God. And isn't that what happens sometimes when we start asking questions? We already know the answer. We've got it all figured out already. It's so black and white. It's so obvious that we've just jumped to the conclusion that we always jump to and we never think about it a different way. I want to challenge us, really sincerely challenge us, when we study our Bibles, to be an open book, ready for God to write on. Because it is so easy for us to bring our, our preconceptions, our prejudices to God's Word when we study, and to just miss, glance off completely what God is trying to tell us, because we already know the answer. And I'll tell you, when you study with somebody who is of another faith, who believes something else, who has a different view of the Bible than you, I, almost every time my, my, my sincere prayer and thought is, I hope they're able to see past their prejudices and the things they've always believed so that they can approach God's word and let it teach them the truth. But do I do that myself? Am I willing to do that myself? Because when God presents me with the answers, I need to be willing to make a choice. I need to be willing to make the right choice. And here's the thing. 
I don't know what John's choice was. After all of this story ends, you know, John's messengers go back, and then Jesus basically has sort of a conversation about John behind his back, or while he's gone, you know, and John, he's really holding up John as this pinnacle of faith, as we talked about there in verse 28. Yet, we don't really know what John said about the answer, what his disciples said about the answer. That's just the answer that was given, but John then had to make a choice. Are you going to keep following Jesus, or are you going to look for another? And I'm convinced that John, in his, in his faithfulness, especially as Jesus would talk about him there, I'm convinced that John made the right choice. I'm convinced that John got the message. Are you going to get the message, though? You know, when you ask a question, no matter what it is about God's word, about why is this verse there, how does this apply to me, how can I grow in the faith, how can I be better in this case or in that case, or in this instance, when you're asking the question sincerely, know that the answers are going to come. But when those answers come, you then have to make a choice. It is your responsibility to make a choice and say, am I going to follow that? Am I going to do what I saw? Am I going to listen to what Jesus wanted me to do? And blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus' answer. Blessed is the one who is not offended to follow Jesus, even in the thing you didn't expect to be following him in. Blessed is the one who, like, like he's saying here, blessed is the one who gets down on his knees and serves other people. Blessed is the one who cares about the lowly. Blessed is the one who, who looks at the plight of the meek and the broken people. So the answers always lead to a choice. And we need to be willing in our search, in our curiosity, as we look to Jesus for answers, we need to be willing to just break down our preconceptions and let him teach us what we need to do. This isn't really a lesson that's going to give you like a, a takeaway that you can go do, but I, I want this to be in your toolbox. I want you, as you study God's word, to really just get curious about it. Get curious about how it applies to your life. Get curious about where you may not be right, where you may be misunderstanding something. And if you ever have a question, they've said that there's no such thing as a bad question. I mean, I'm sure there are some bad questions, but I think when we're sincerely approaching God's word, looking to be better, looking to grow, ask away. Ask away. And if we can't give you an answer, if, if you don't find the answer in God's word, keep searching. You know, we're not here to say, just trust us. Trust us, we're doing the right thing. Look, if you have an answer, if you have a, if you have a question that we don't have an answer to, if you have something that we are not following in this book and we should be following it, and shame on us for not doing our search, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. We're not so stuck in our traditions, so stuck in our ways, that we're unwilling to follow God's plan. Amen? Amen. All right. Take out your songbooks. Turn to the number that's been announced. Thanks so much for your attention. Let's stay curious about God's word. And as Jesus would go on to say there in Luke chapter 7, John was the pinnacle. There was none greater than John. Yet, in verse 28, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What Jesus was pointing out there is that if you are willing to become a part of God's kingdom, a part of his church, then you're going to be greater than John. Because John didn't have access to the amazing blessings that come in the church. And you have that opportunity. If you're ready this morning to give your life to the Lord, if you're ready to follow him in faith, 
confessing his name before men, being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're ready to do that, then we'll help you on that journey this morning. If you need the prayers of this group for help in some way, please come forward as we stand and sing.